Hey everybody, welcome back to another podcast of these present days. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for revealing things unto us that aren't meeting the natural naked eye, but are behind the scenes and the inner workings of stuff so that we have understanding supernaturally and we have preparation and equipping for the days, the weeks, the months, the years that we have left before you return. In the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord God, for stirring this message deep in the hearts of people like you stirred it up inside of me. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. I title this simply Expectation. Expectation. You know, and that is actually um, from the Greek language, the word in the Greek for expectation is elpis. And elpis is the word that we translate English hope. And so expectation or hope is something that's very, very, very important. It's very, very simple. And we need to understand it and take it apart and dissect it and unpack it. And see how it works because listen if we don't have an expectation or if we don't have a, a hope of God coming through a hope of things getting better a hope of him taking care of us a hope well then it's gonna be pretty hopeless looking and so we need to cultivate that hope we need to, to nurture that hope we need to nourish that hope because hope comes by the same method that faith comes. It comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Hope comes the same way. Now, hope is different than faith. We're going to look at that verse in just a moment. In Hebrews chapter 11, where it talks about faith and what it, how it works together with hope. But we need to understand some things. What does it mean to expect First of all, the word hope means favorable and confident expectation. In just regular secular dictionary, the word expectation, the act or state of looking forward or anticipating something expected, a thing looked forward to, often expectations or a prospect of future good or profit, or the state of something or someone being expected, like a pregnant woman her child, or like dinner guest coming to dinner. Okay, another definition, to consider probable or certain. In other words, you are counting on it to a certain degree, and those degrees can be absolute all the way to probable and everything in between. In other words, if you invited some people to come to eat and you're going to meet them at the restaurant at 8 o'clock and you're there and they're not and they had a reputation before and you were kind of cringing and hoping that they wouldn't be like it was before but you had that in the back of your mind and so it kind of undermines it kind of digs the ground out from under and so it's a probable you know they, they probably will make it maybe and so you weren't fully expecting when you're fully expecting someone you're ordering their drinks before they even get there if you know them you know, you look at the menu for yourself and for them to encourage them or to 
suggest to them that they might want to try the halibut. You know, it looks really good and stuff like this. You know, because you have this expectancy of them being there. I mean, look at, look at, it, it's a few days away from Christmas right now, and there's kids that are expecting Santa to put some gifts under the tree. Still, there's still people like that. But if it's not Santa, it's Mama, or it's Daddy, or it's Grandpa, or it's a best friend, you know, or, you know, your husband, your wife, or your kids, you know, you're expecting something, and you gave hints, and gave them a Christmas list, and really invested time in, 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 in kind of like nudging them a little bit toward that. And so you have a, a bit of an expectancy. Have you ever been disappointed at Christmas? To where you gave them a list even. You wrote it out like a kid doing that for Santa Claus. But you gave it to the adults in the room. And they didn't hit anything on the list. Or if they did, it wasn't the right thing. And so it kind of casts you down a little bit inside. You know? and, and you know, pessimistic people in the world, in the world, they have been through a lot of hard things like everybody. And they've been let down lots of times like everybody else. You know, but they let it stick to them to where they finally stop expecting. They finally just have the negative outlook like, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. No, it's never going to happen. You know, why even bother, you know, being concerned about it, talking about it, getting ready for it? It's not going to happen. And that's a real sad state and condition because the world is going into a place to where there's going to be a lot of people in despair. You know what despair is? Dreading the negative. And you know what despair is related to? It's related to hope. It's the flip side of hope. You're expecting something good over at hope. Over at despair, you're expecting something bad, something evil. And you know what Jesus says to people over and over again that came to him looking for help? Be it unto you according to your faith. Hmm. If you truly expect it to rain, truly expect it to, to flood, truly expect it, you know, and, 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 and nothing but the negative, you're going to get that because you, you put your faith to work on that. You see, faith and hope are first cousins, and we're going to see that. But the opposite side is the evil, the evil distant relative to hope is despair. Despair is trying to sweep the land right now to where the things that are going on in the world, the president administration, even if you voted for him, even if a lot of people in the party of the president administration, they're turning, looking for help. You know, they don't want this guy back in his administration. <coughs> they're looking to change some things. Because this, is, this isn't what they signed up for, but they got to keep their mouth shut. they got to play the game. You know, they got to get in line because they are of the party, and the party that's in power right now is, is doing their thing, and, and they're doing a lot of things that are shady, a lot of things. And, and granted, you know, it's not any different on both sides. I mean, it's just like, it's a little bit, it's a little bit different, you know, in the sense of things that, um, lean a certain way is a little bit different to two parties that we have. 
and we have three or four or five, you know, because there's always something cropping up and wanting to start a new party. You know, but it's, it's the main two ones. You know, it's like they're not polar opposites. They're shaded, you know, a little bit in different ways. And they're not honest. A lot of them are not honest and truthful and have no integrity, you know, and, it's, and it kind of runs with the territory. And not that they're a pack of criminals and they all need to be locked up. It's just like, no, they're fallen people. And since it affects so many people, these fallen people can be taken over by fallen beings and they can be in their ears and in their heads and out their mouth and in their actions doing things that are ruining something that was a lot better before they got into power. And so how are we going to navigate that? How are we going to put up with that? I don't like to even tolerate that. Well, look at the days of Noah. Like Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man returns. So we, we know we're in the days of Noah again. And in the days of Noah, Noah's spirit was vexed, it says. Vexed, what's that mean, vexed? That means his spirit was under attack. His spirit was under a heavy weight. He had a spirit of heaviness, which was depressing upon him because of the way they're living because of the way that they're dealing with each other. Because they got so bad and so dirty. This isn't Sodom and Gomorrah where God's just going to take a lightning bolt and burn a city down. He's going to burn the planet down next time. But this time, he put the planet in a rinse cycle when he flooded the whole earth and killed every human being and every animal that wasn't on that ark. Wow. How bad does it have to get for that to happen? And so in the middle of all that, Noah could have been very, very depressed. He could have been very despairing. But what got him up on his feet, got him excited about something and about the future, what got him all, all the way there is God gave him a hope. He said, I want you to build a boat. What's a boat? I don't know what a boat is. Nobody ever had a boat. He was the first boat builder. And I'm going to flood the earth. You know, flood the earth, what's that mean? I want you to take and put all the animals in this boat. It's got to be big. It's like, big? It took him a year to build it. He had a few, you know, maybe his son-in-laws and, 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 and uh, some of the other family members were trying to help him and stuff. But basically, it was supernatural. And so that gave him a hope to get up in the morning, a hope to go to work, a hope, you know, to, and he's, got, he's getting mocked by the townspeople. What are you building? What's that? What's, what are you doing? You're making a, a Hilton Hotel or something here? They didn't have Hilton by that, you know, in that time, but I'm just saying. But they were mocking him and laughing at him until the rain started to fall. And then they op the, the earth opened up and they started gushing water up in the air, up, up in the stratosphere. It's amazing, you know, like just flooded it and buried the earth underwater for a year before the water recited. And so we're looking right now these present days are looking Noah's days right in the face. And so despair and, and negativity are the clarion cry of the fallen nature. And people in the world, you know, they're upset. They're getting upset. They're getting volatile. They want to get physical about it. They want to get malicious about it and militant about it because they're going to have to defend themselves, they think, and all this kind of stuff. And it's kind of like a dog-eat-dog -dog mentality. 
you know, because we didn't ask for this. It's happening. It's being brought to us. And so it's uh, scary to people. But when you know that Jesus already told us about this and already let us know that we were born for such a time as this, so we've got in, innate on the inside of us what we need to navigate these times and seasons and to keep our heads on straight and our hearts you know, clear. And so, yeah, we're going to see a lot of things we thought we'd never see. It's already happening. And so let's get into some scriptures after we got the definitions out of the way. One last one is to wait or stay. It's important to understand this. When God tells you to wait, it tells you to stay. That's part of expectation. Because you're waiting or you're staying for a certain thing, for a reason. It's not time yet. That's why you have to wait. That's why you're going to employ patience and endurance. In other words, like the state of something or someone being expected, like I said earlier, like a pregnant woman, her child, we call her expectant. Yeah, she's expecting. You see, expectations are always future. Faith is always now. If you're not believing God for stuff to happen now, you're not in faith. If you're believing God to do stuff in the future, but not necessarily now, well, then you're in hope. And you're not going to be able to get saved by just being hopeful that God will be merciful and he'll save your butt, you know, in the time of the return of Jesus or something else, you know, the rapture, or, or maybe he'll have another uh, segment to where he's going to catch all the people that didn't ever go to church in their life and they didn't believe in any kind of a God. And so, you know, you just have kind of floating around with a hope for that, but you can't put it, any teeth, you can't sink any teeth into it until you have faith, which means this. Faith acts on it as though the hope is already manifested. That's going to bring it to pass. That's a catalyst. That's the catalyst that, that hope needs to come to pass. The, buyer, the Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. When hope is put off, and hope is put off and put off and put off, the heart gets sick inside. It gets sick. Because there's certain things by the enemy attacking, you know, by people, you know, not really being about the faith walk, you know, about the faith lifestyle, you know, to where you're living by faith that you're trusting God to take care of this in the future. Listen, listen, listen. If you really expect something, you anticipate its arrival. Buying the baby cribs, the baby's clothes, having a baby shower. If you really anticipate the arrival, something if you really anticipate the arrival of something, you stay prepared for it to appear or arrive. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Here we go. Now faith brings our hope into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. Other translations say it like this. Now faith is 
the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. A better way of putting it would be, now faith is giving substance to things expected. And it's the evidence that you already have it, even though it's unseen. And so faith has no hope without hope. And so your faith doesn't have any hope if you don't expect it. Your faith doesn't have any hope of ever fulfilling and manifesting something that God promised because you never got to the point of expecting it. If you're expecting it, you make arrangements for it. If you make arrangements for it, that means you know it's going to come. It's not a maybe. It's not a hope so. We think hope is a hope so. No, hope is a favorable and confident expectation. It's not a, a negative expecting the worst. It's expecting something favorable. Hebrews 11.1, 1, in the mirror translation, it goes like this. Persuasion confirms confident expectation and proves the unseen world to be more real than seen. Faith celebrates as certain what hope visualizes as future. And so if hope is future and it visualizes something, and I, I, like, I like to see it like this. Faith is blind faith if you don't have hope. Hope gives eyeballs to faith because hope sees off into the future what faith is a part of making happen right now. Faith is bringing you to it and it to you, whatever it is that you see off in the future that you've been led by the Word of God to hope for something, to hope for something, to expect it to make provisions for it, to get ready for it, to speak of it and act of it as though it's already here. You see, in a desperate, fallen down world that is despairing, this message is essential. Turn with me to Romans chapter five. Romans the fifth chapter, beautiful chapter about Jesus, about all the things that God did through him for us. In the Passion Translation, starting in verse 1, it says this, Our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us, and he now declares us flawless in his eyes. This means we can now enjoy true and lasting peace with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One, has done for us. Verse 2, our faith guarantees us permanent access into this marvelous kindness that has given us a perfect relationship with God. What incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory. You see, before you even see it, they're celebrating the hope or the expectation of God's glory. Once again, starting in verse 2 at the beginning, our faith guarantees us permanent access into this marvelous kindness that has given us a perfect relationship with God, which what incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our hope. If you don't keep celebrating your hope and what you hope for and what you dream, see, hope is like a vision. The Bible says in Proverbs 29 that without a vision, people perish or 
or they cast off restraint. They go wild. They go berserk. They got to have a, a vision. You see, I see hope like this. Hope is the blueprint. It's the schematic. It's the instructions of how to build this thing that faith puts his hands to and builds it. Okay, without the blueprint, the builder, the carpenter, the contractor doesn't have a picture of what it's supposed to look like. So how's he going to know when he's got it done? And so you see how he's going about it blind if he doesn't have hope. And so if we take away from God's word hope, because God's word causes us to hope because his word says that by his stripes you were healed. Well, then, if you're dealing with something that's attacking your body, you have the expectation or the hope of it recovering, of it, the, the pain stopping and the disease going away. You have that hope. And so your faith goes to work on that hope. Because your faith tells you, get up, get up. Healed people don't stay in bed with a thermometer under their tongue. Healed people get up and, 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 and take care of their business. Healed people get up. And so you start to put your feet on the floor, start to get up. You see, when I was a kid, my mom and dad, they taught us that. They taught us because we were a bunch of rascals. Any chance we got to skip school, you know, like it's raining, so I'm tired. I got a little scratch in my throat. I'm crying like this, and my dad would always be the one to execute. He'd go down the hall, and he'd pull, because I'm under the covers, got the pillow over the top of my head. My dad would just jerk the covers off and just said, what's wrong? I, I, got a, I got a fever. He touches my head. It doesn't feel that hot. I got a sore throat. He says, you know, you, you sound fine to me. You know, just take a, a, a glass of water, you know, and drink it real slow and just irrigate the area down there. He said, let me pray for you. He puts his hands on me. He prays for me. And he says, amen. Get up. I said, I still hurt. He says, Healed people don't stay in bed all day. Get up. And he did that to me. And he did it to the other kids when they were growing up too. He didn't tolerate that. He, he was a wild man. I mean, he, he, he was reading the Bible for himself. He went to church for a while, but then, you know, they moved to a new location. We were living in this new location, and we're trying to get away, kids, you know, trying to do kids' things. And my dad is pointing out that, you know, if I pray for you, the Bible says you're healed. And if I, if I pray for you and you're healed, well, then you, you can't stay here and, and lay down and cry all day. Get the heck up. And so he'd pull me out of bed. And I have to go to the bathroom. I went to the bathroom, going there, washing my face and doing my business and everything. And as I'm getting dressed or as I'm on my way to the bus stop, the healing hit every single time. Because my dad made me see it. He, he didn't know it and break it down like this. He made me see it. Healed people don't stay in bed when they got stuff. Get up. There's stuff for you to do. Get up. I don't care how bad you're feeling right now. I'm going to pray for you. God's going to heal you. And, I, and, and, and you're going to get healed because I'm praying for you in faith. My dad had so much. Cause my dad was an atheist. And then he got saved. And he got radically converted. And he got radically excited about what it says in the Bible. And he started voraciously reading the Bible. And voraciously and excitedly and passionately applying it to us. Which I'm grateful for. And what I understand now in breaking it down to teach it to people is that 
without the eyeballs of hope that see the future and the way that it's going to be when God gets done. And the future could be one second away, one second. It could be an instantaneous looking thing. But the eyes of the faith are the expectation of the result. And of course, the enemy is going to try to counter it, try to try to you know, mingle, you know, the the symptoms, you know, with the, the 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 new feeling that that seems to be waking up in the body, you know, the, that that uh, the the well being that's being felt again. But he's trying to mix the you know the the, the nagging, the pulling, the aching, and all this kind of thing. And we know that there's going to be a, con a contest. We know there's going to go back and forth. He's going to contest it. But. As long as you can see that picture, just like Peter, as long as he can see Jesus, he's not going to fall. He's not going to sink. He can walk on water. He was doing it. But he took his eyes off. And we learn a lesson. Take your eyes off, that you lose your hope. You take your eyes off, you lose your hope. You lose your hope, you have no sight. You have no sight, there's a lot of pits the devil's out there in front of you digging. A lot of holes he's out there making everywhere. A lot of things that he has taken away and gotten away with taking it away when people can't see his work and see him at work and see him out in front trying to lie, trying to steal by, by removing the truth from us because the truth is the word of God. When we're standing on the truth, we are seeing clearly, I'm healed. And then he's in your ear saying, you're not really healed. You have that sore throat. How about that fever? How are you swallowing? It hurts in the back there. You're not healed. It's like all that nonsense, all that lies has got to be refuted by the truth. You got to stand against it. You got to stand up to it. Now that's just in just one area. I mean, how about you know shelter? How about taking care of us? How about they shut down the plant? You can't go there anymore. Shut it down. The economy is collapsing left and right. People are in bread lines like it was in 1927 and soup lines and stuff like this, and it's going backwards, and the bankers, banks are losing money left and right, you know, and people are out of work all over the place, and, and, and your food storage is going down and down and, and lower and lower, and, and you're supposed to help people. God is trying to lead you, you know, to be generous and to give yourself away and give your stuff you know, to people that need it more than you, and it's like, okay, uh, I guess I didn't see this coming, or I guess I didn't jump to my feet and respond and act on it soon enough. Yeah, that might be the case. Yeah, you better take this serious. And it's not a matter of getting more ammunition and more guns. It's a matter of getting more of God's presence, expectation, expecting, expecting God to lead the way, expecting God to open the doors, expecting God to open the heavens, expecting God to bring the food, expecting God to keep everybody well, expecting God to keep the evil people from trespassing against you. Expecting God means you're at rest. You're resting in the fact that God says he's going to take care of it, and you're not going to have to take care of it, but you're looking out the door for somebody to, you know, to, to be made of flesh and blood or some kind of visible form, maybe an angel from heaven, you know, come down and manifestly can take care of it, and you don't see anybody, and you start to panic, and you think, well, I'm going to have to take care of it, take it in my hand. That's a trick. That's a snare, because you're getting in God's way now, because God is the one who takes care of us. God is the one who comes through for us.
God is the one that's never failed us. He's never lied to us. God is the one. So, what are we going to do? Let's get back to Romans 5, verse 1. Our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us, and he now declares us flawless in his eyes. Wow, that's pretty complete. This means we can now enjoy true and lasting peace with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One, has done for us. Verse 2, our faith guarantees us permanent access into this marvelous kindness that has given us a perfect relationship with God. What incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory, our expectation of experiencing God's glory. Verse 3, but that's not all. Even in times of trouble, hello, people, we're going into that. Even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence knowing that the pressures will that the, our, pre, our pressures will develop in us patient endurance. In other words, our pressures that we're experiencing is going to develop that patient endurance. Verse 4, and patient endurance will refine our character, and proven character leads us back to hope. Mm. Verse 5, and this hope is not a disappointing fantasy because we can now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You see, you can really take a beating while you're waiting for the manifestation of your hope. But no worries. He's saying, don't worry about it. It's going to work for you. Look at verse 3 again. But that's not all. Even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence knowing that our, pre that our pressures will develop in us patient endurance. Our pressures are going to work for us. We're not going to be killed. We're not going to die here. This isn't the hill to die on. And so <clears throat> verse 3 is talking about, look at this. You're going to be strong in, in potent endurance. Or excuse me, patient endurance. Verse 4, and patient endurance will refine our character. What refining does our character need? Our character needs to be calmed down. Patient endurance can wait all day and all night. And so our, our character needs to be refined by patient endurance to where it's chill, it's cool, it's relaxed, it's fine. And this hope it says in verse 5, it's not a disappointing fantasy because we can now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You see, this patient endurance, it's refining the character that we have and proven character leads us back to hope. In other words, we, when our character gets proven, our character gets toughened, our character gets hardcore. Hardcore in Christianity doesn't mean that you're militant, that you're aggro dog, you know, that you're pushy, you know, that you're, you know, kind of rude to people that don't get on board with what you're trying to push them to do. No, it's not talking about that. It's talking about you're, you're set and you're sure, you're fully persuaded, you're locked in that this is going to work because I don't have a plan B or C or D. Verse 4, and patient endurance 
will refine our character, and proven character leads us back to expectation. And this expectation is not a disappointing fantasy because we can now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We're going to experience that when we push through and don't let hope die on that hill. Don't let hope die on that hill full of despair and depressed souls. You know, because the Bible even says that hope is an anchor to the soul. You know, the soul is under fire right now, under all this, all this stuff, all this information that's coming, all this evil, all this stuff that's collapsing, it's not working, we're not going back to, all this stuff that's threatening, that's scary and everything. When we have an expectation of victory, an expectation of support and supply, an expectation of plenty, an expectation of protection, well, then we're going to be cool, calm, and collected in the middle. And we can be of help to people. If you're falling apart at the seams, you can't help anybody. If you're looking for your guns and ammo and stuff like this, you can't help anybody. You see... We can really take a beating, like I said a minute ago, while you're waiting for the manifestation of your hope. But no worries. Why? A little baby, if, if little babies can go through the struggle of, of faith life conversion, big babies can make it too. Okay, what do I mean by little babies going through the struggle of faith life conversions? Convergence, I, I meant to say which means that the baby's being born, going through the fallopian tube, passing through the cervix, which is pushing down on the baby's chest, moving bones out of the way, and causing the lungs to push out all the fluid that was in them. And then the baby pops head into the, in, into the air and starts screaming and breathing with lungs that work for the first time. That baby was beat up. That baby got beat up to a pulp. I mean, that baby has a, a piece missing in the skull so that its head, its bony head, you know, has a spot to be flexible to when the head as well as the, the rib cage and the lungs and everything and, and the stomach and all that is being flattened like rollers are there because it's smooth as silk, you know, the liquid, you know, the placenta, you know, it's broken and stuff like this. And the embiotic fluid is out and also the woman's fluid, you know, is mixed with that. So the baby is bathed in fluid and coming down the channel down and the baby is being pressed, squished down so that it hasn't breathed yet. His heart is being pushed around with the organs inside also by going through these tight spots, getting ready to be introduced to the world. That's the first stage. And the baby's taking that. And the baby, you know, screams or cries aloud when the lungs probably hurt. You know, it probably has a little bit of, you know, like when you get some water in your lungs, you start coughing a lot at the beach and, and it hurts, you know. Um, yeah, that baby gone through a lot of, of pain, kind of got beat down, you know, going through that. I mean, for nine months, baby was on gravy train just rolling around on the mama, you know, mama could fall flat on her stomach, you know, and the baby's got so much embiotic fluid and everything, the baby just bounced over the other side or over there, and never, nothing could, you know, really mess with the baby that, that much. And that baby took it and came out, 
and started growing into an adult, a full-grown adult. Now we've got full-grown adults that want to, they want to act like little babies when they're getting beat sideways to Sunday on some certain things in life that they um, are under attack in that they are going to recover from if they don't give up and they hang in there and they have patient endurance at work, not letting anything pry out of their bony fingers that hope and that expectation of the manifestation of what the faithful Lord Jesus, the truth teller, said of the promise. They're going to get that promise. The baby's like a promise. Because, like I said earlier, like a woman is said to be expecting something when she's got that big belly sticking out. And it's a baby. And then when the baby comes, you know, it goes through all this stuff. But it, it, the expectation was realized when the birth came. And it's realized when the birth comes to us spiritually, too. Romans chapter 8. We need to take a look at this. Romans chapter 8. In the Passion Translation. Paul the Apostle talking about the world that has been subjugated because of Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden to the corruption, the corrosion, to death itself, to decay, to everything going back to where it came from, you know, back from earth, from dust to dust, ashes to ashes. And it's groaning. The earth can be heard in the spirit realm, groaning. Look at verse 22. To this day, we are aware of the universal agony and groaning of creation. This is from the Passion Translation. As it were in the contractions of labor for childbirth. Coincidence? No. 23. And it's not just creation. We who have already experienced the first fruits of the Spirit also inwardly groan as we passionately long to experience our full status as God's sons and daughters, including our physical bodies being transformed. Verse 24, for this is the hope of our salvation. But hope means that we must trust and wait for what is still unseen. For why would we need to hope for something we already have? Verse 25, so because our hope is set on what is yet to be seen, we patiently keep waiting for its fulfillment. Verse 26, and in a similar way, the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty to empower us in our weakness. For example, at times we don't even know how to pray. In other words, we're getting beat up so much we can't even put the words together for a prayer or know the best things to ask for. But the Holy Spirit rises up within us to supersede on our behalf, pleading to God with emotional sighs too deep for words. God, the searcher of the heart, knows fully our longings. Yet he also understands the desires of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us. This Holy One, His Holy Ones, us, His Holy Ones, in perfect harmony with God's plan and our destiny. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together for good, for we are His lovers who have been called to fulfill His designated purpose. Wow. I just want to stop there for a second and, and just enjoy that. Not only is creation expecting to be changed and transformed and liberated from the corruption that's been laid against it and has been destroying it, 
but we ourselves grow within ourselves with a divine dissatisfaction of being stuck in these physical limited bodies and look forward to our eternal celestial condition that we're going to be transformed to. You see, the key to fruitful kingdom life is to know what's expected of us as we are expectant of what God has promised. We need to know what God expects of us. He expects us to faithfully trust him and to faithfully act on what he says and to faithfully keep expecting whatever it is that he's promised your life to look like to become that. Don't give up on it. Don't ever give up on it. No matter how much garbage gets piled between you and what you, look, you, you looked out the window of your soul and you saw when you first got your, your, your heart excited about expecting God to turn this around, turn that around, to have a breakthrough, no more of this nonsense and all that. But then all this debris, all this junk had been piled in front of you like a big mountain, seemed like an acre high, and you can't see it. You lost your sight of it. You got to climb that hill. You got to climb that mountain of garbage. You get up to the point where your vantage point is going to be beautiful from up there. It's unobstructed. But you got to use what's been thrown at you to step on it to get to that higher elevation to see what's really there waiting. It's out in front of you. That's why we call it hope. That's why we say it's an expectation. In Hebrews 6.19, I'll just quote this scripture. You see, we have this certain hope, like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat of the heavenly realm beyond the sacred threshold. Wow, that ain't going anywhere. You see, we're in high seas down here sometimes. We're in a storm. We need an anchor to something, and hope is that anchor. And what it's anchored to is the faithfulness of God. Because the mercy seat is where the blood of Jesus was shed to forgive our sins and to give us a relationship with God. So once again, we have this certain hope, like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. So hope is an anchor to the soul. In the middle of a, of a turbulent world, if your soul isn't locked in on the expectancy of no matter what they say on the news, no matter what they do in the townships, no matter what goes on in the world, I expect that to bow down to God's will. I expect that to be removed out of my path according to God's will. I expect that. And that expectation has to be tied even stronger even stronger. i got to go stronger with you. That expectation needs to be tied to I know that. I know that because God spoke in his word and I heard it in my heart and it caused me to expect something to change, expect something that's better, expect something to take the place of this mess. 
It caused me to expect that. And in my expectation, I'm anticipating that. I don't know when that's going to happen or, or breakthrough is going to come, but I am making provisions for it to happen. I am preparing myself to embrace it. And I am acting in faith as if I have it already. And I don't know how long I have to do that because I'm so certain of what God caused me to see. I mean, it messed me up. I mean, he, he could have left me alone, but he caused me to see. I can't unsee that. I can't unsee that. I saw something in his word, and he caused me to see that. It's called revelation. And by revealing to me what his intent, what his motive is, what his, what his package deal is, I went for it, and you go for it. And at the same time, I'm understanding this. I'm going to be opposed. Of course I am. I'm going to have to endure. I'm going to have to be impatient. I, I'm going to have to be patient. I'm not going to be impatient. I'm going to have to maintain my vantage point. What is my vantage point? I'm looking from on high. I'm not looking from down below. I'm looking to get out from down below. I'm climbing over the stuff that the devil's put in the way and I'm getting up on the higher ground and I'm seeing not only the original thing that I started expecting, I'm seeing how much more potential and possibilities and probabilities there are out there that I haven't even touched yet. And I'm going for that. And so, shame on you, devil, for messing with me. Ha-ha on you, devil, when you didn't get me to look away, but I scurried up the side of all this mess you put in my way so I could see what the Father wants me to see right now today and to keep my path of vision unobstructed and my ears open to the Father talking me through what's in front of me every day to where I can embrace the promise. I can embrace and to see the fulfillment of it and not be in shock, not be in dismay. I am not taking it for granted. I, I, it costs me a lot to go down this path and to go this way. But look at the reward at the end of that day. I'm embracing it now. And I'm looking for the next time he shows me something. I'll know exactly the steps to take. And once I get on the roll and decisions that I make, I'll be embracing other things that were future, that became present, that were ahead, that became in the now because I wouldn't take no for an answer, even when I couldn't understand how. I thank the Lord Jesus for instilling in me a resilient heart that trusts him and believes him. And when he tells me something, I lock in on that. And I pray that also for you, that you Hold on like your life depends on it, because it does, and that's what you have to do.
And he who caused you to act this crazy is going to see you through. It's all going to be true. It's going to be right there in your possession. So don't be caught off guard or off looking another way. Don't be caught by surprise, even if you like surprises. I'm caught in the middle of expectation. I'm caught looking for it, and it appears, and I didn't have to stay up all night and watch the way that it materialized and came into, into physical being, and I saw it. I saw it when it came. I don't have to see it. When I get up in the morning, just like any other morning, went to bed without it, woke up without it, still believe it's mine, went to bed without it, woke up without it, still believe it's mine, went to bed without it, acted like it is already mine, woke up without it, went to bed without it, woke up and there it was. There it was, so divine, it became a manifestation after I received it by faith and I expected it to manifest, but while waiting, it became mine. It was already mine. And so it was a foregone conclusion. It's a foregone conclusion. I already did my celebrating. I already did my shouting hallelujahs and praise the Lord. I did my happy dance because I already had it. And so nothing's going to stop it from coming now because I'm already in that place locked down, locked down to where anything that has tried to distract me, lie to me some more, anything that has been put up as a barrier to block my view, I've used it to catapult me to higher heights to where I can see what the Lord has promised that he has done and that he is going to manifestly do. So it's all over from there. And thank you, Father, for getting us across to every one of us so that we can not only live this way, but we can begin to share. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in. I hope this meant something to you. I hope it helps you. And I'll be talking to you again soon. I love you all. Catch you later.